Um, all right, the Acts 26, 12 through 18, the title is The Mission is to Shine the Light. Acts 26, we're going to read a little bit of scripture here, uh, a few verses. While thus occupied, Paul is talking about, As I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. You know what a goad is? I think it was a long stick they used to use to prod a oxen or a, a cow. And so uh, he was being poked. And so I said, uh, Paul said, who are you, Lord? It was a question. And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Now, can I tell you something that uh, for those of us, we sometimes have a, a little bit older crowd on Wednesday nights because the kids are all upstairs, but um, just because you've seen some things doesn't mean you've seen everything. There's still a lot that God has yet re to reveal to us, but in order to uh, embrace it and to accept it and then embrace it, we've got to be like a uh, new wineskin. We've got to be flexible because oftentimes what God is about to do is often a little bit different from what we're used to. And if we are looking for what we always had, then we're not going to get anything new. We're going to get what we always had. But I don't want what we always had. I want what he has. Amen? So uh, it's kind of like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm going to just, when I go to a restaurant, if you've ever eaten with me, if you've ever gone out to eat with me at a restaurant, I eat the same thing at every restaurant that I go to. Same thing, right? Now, here's the thing. If you eat the same thing, you're always going to get what you got, and I like that. But you never know what's out there if you don't order something new, right? And sometimes what, what the Lord wants to order something new, but we want to keep the same thing, and we have to allow him to order for us something we're not used to, all right? So anyway, Paul goes on. He says, uh, I will deliver yet you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now we're going to concentrate mostly on verse 18, uh, but just kind of give you a little background. Paul had been in prison for a few years and in the change of Roman governors, because he got in prison with one governor, and then he was uh, in there for two years, and another governor came in, and he was one of the cases that had been left on the docket, so the new governor brings him in, a governor brings him in, and having had a hearing uh, where the governor kind of wanted him to send him back to Jerusalem, Paul knew that if he went back to Jerusalem, they were going to kill him. So he felt like his only option was to appeal to Caesar in order to every, every Roman citizen had, it's like a Supreme Court, I appeal to Caesar. And so since he did that, they were already going to send him to, uh, uh, to Rome to have a hearing with Caesar. Uh, but in the meantime, while they were getting all that ready, uh, the Jewish king himself went to the city of Caesarea. And so the governor said, hey, why don't you just listen? I've, I've got this thing going on here. And he asked to go to Caesar, I'm going to do that, but I, I just, I'm, I'm confused about this. So Paul was 
giving once again his uh, uh, defense, what happened to him. And in doing that, he was given a witness of how God had called him and what God was calling him to do. And during this presentation before the governor and the, and the uh, Jewish king, Paul recounts his previous experience as a persecutor of the church and recounts the experience that brought a complete change to his life. And it is uh, that experience that, and the call that God gave him and what God spoke to him during the vision that he had that we're going to focus on today. So there's a couple of things in here I want to focus on. The first thing I want to look at is uh, God said to him, I'm sending you to open their eyes. Now, primarily, this, everything we're going to talk about applies to every person on the face of the planet, Jew, Gentile, whatever the case may be. But Paul had a certain sphere. He had a certain place where he was going to. I don't know if you know that, but God has not given us, even though we as a church are supposed to go into all the world, we don't go into all the world. We go into the sphere that God sends us into. In the sphere that we go into, we are supposed to proclaim Jesus, uh, tell people about the Lord, uh, uh, bring the kingdom of God to bear in the sphere that we're in. Now, a sphere can be a locale, it can be a region, but it also can be a, a occupation. It can be, uh, um, you know, uh, 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 something that you do. If you are a, a businessman, your sphere can be business, your sphere can be the church, your sphere can be education, uh, your sphere can be family, it can, uh, all sorts of things that your sphere can be. Uh, but God was telling Paul that his sphere was the Gentiles and the Gentiles in a, in a particular region. So anyway, he says, I'm sending you to Gentiles. The first thing he tells them is to open their eyes, and that's the first point we want to look at. And uh, just kind of read these scriptures again, starting from verse 16. I have appeared to you to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you've seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, and he needed to be delivered from the Jewish people because they were after him, as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So who is he sending them to? To the Gentiles. And what's his purpose? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So uh, kind of give you a little bit of an understanding of Paul. Paul, uh, you know, and some people think his name was Saul, and then he changed his name to Paul. I think he just he always had Saul and Paul, but he chose to go by Paul when he was in the Gentile world. Saul was his Hebrew name. But anyway, Paul uh, was not what we would consider a hardened sinner. Uh, in fact, if you were to look at his life without an understanding of the gospel, you might think he was a pretty good guy. Not only that, you might think he was one of the better people that you may know. He served God in the way that he knew, and in the way that he served God, he thought he was right. He devoted himself to learning and living the Word of God, again, as he knew it. So we're not talking about a gang member. We're not talking about a terrorist. We're not talking about a cartel member or a mafia leader. In fact, Paul was so committed to doing what was right that he actually set out to stamp out anything that was wrong, right? I don't know about you, but I'd be grateful for people that are trying to deal with stuff that is wrong in our society. The problem was Paul was doing it from his understanding. We're going to get into that. So don't take what I'm saying right now without the context, which I'm going to give you out of context. Okay, let me go on. Philippians 3, 4 
uh, 3, 4 through 6, as though I might, I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, I was a good guy according to the law. So I set this in context for you to realize that it was this same Paul that we might consider to be a good man, this same Paul who thought he was in the light, realized when God's light shined upon him that he was living in darkness. Acts 26, 13 through 14, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me, speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. In John 1, 4 through 5, it says, in him, Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. Another translation says the darkness does not overcome it. Second Corinthians 4 through 6, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light. And without him, we need to understand no matter how good you think you are, we're living in darkness. Right? Ephesians 4, 17 through 18, Paul is writing to the church. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, as those who are lost, as those who don't know Christ, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. 2 Corinthians 6.14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? So I'm, tr- I'm trying to get you to realize is that Christ is the light, and Paul's mission was to shine the light that people may know there is a light. Right? That they may know there is a light. And that brings us to the second point to turn them from darkness to the light. So Acts 26, 18 again, in order to turn them from darkness to light. So as Paul preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, like with Paul, the people would become aware of the light. The people, as well as the leaders of the, of the people, were living in darkness. They were essentially blind. A truly blind person is not aware of light, right? They live their whole lives in darkness. Matthew 15, 14, let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Jesus is the light of God shining forth in the world. As Jesus walked into this realm of darkness, the people became aware of the fact that a light was now visible. Matthew 4, 13 and 17. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, talking about Jesus, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawn. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, repent, 
for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the purpose of shining the light was that people would turn from the darkness that now they should be aware that they are living in and come into the light. You see, first you got to know there is a light. Now, knowing there is a light, what's the purpose that they might turn from darkness to light? So a lot of times what we're trying to do with people is we're trying to get them into the light and they don't necessarily know there is a light. First, they got to be aware that there is a light. Then when they become aware that there is a light, then hopefully what they'll begin to recognize is my life, it doesn't look so good, uh, you know, now that I recognize there is a light and there's hope for me in the light. But the reality is first you got to know there is a light and then the purpose of knowing there is a light is that so you can recognize that you can turn from the darkness that you're in and walk into the light. John 12, 36 through 40. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. So what does God want them to do? He wants them to See the light, recognize there is a light, see the light, and turn from the darkness that they now recognize they live in and embrace the light. But Paul goes on further. What the Lord told him, he went on even further. It's even more than that. Third point we want to look at. To turn from the power or the authority of Satan to God, Marty wrote me today. He said, hey, that word Satan isn't capitalized. He said, is that the way you want it? I said, I never want to aggrandize the enemy. I hate giving him a capital. I just hate that. So anyway, that's purposeful. We didn't make a mistake there, okay? To turn from the power of Satan to God, right? And he says that. For, to turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, we're going to get there in a minute, but I want you to notice it says, what's the goal? Forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what do you got to do to get there? First of all, you got to have your eyes open to the fact that there is a light. You got to turn from darkness to light, and you've got to turn from the power of Satan to God. Listen to what I'm saying. We need to be aware of what is taking place when it comes to the gospel is when we're turning from darkness to life, we're doing more than just changing our morals. We are doing more than just changing our venue. Sometimes we say, well, I need to get better friends. If I get better friends, I'll live a better life. We are doing more than just changing our direction. I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to live this way. I'm not saying that any of that is wrong, but when you give your life to the Lord, you're doing more than that. What you're doing and what's happening is you have a change of allegiance. When you're in darkness... You're serving the devil. Listen to what I'm saying. 
People can say, I'm a good person, but you don't, do you know the Lord? No. Do you know who Jesus is? Yes. Are you serving God? No. It, well, even if you're a good person, you're not alone. You're not independent. You are serving. And what, what, what we need to be aware of, what Paul wants people to be aware of, is when you are out of, outside of Christ, you are in the power or authority or domain of the devil. You're not independent. You're a citizen. In some ways, you are a slave. I don't want to say a citizen. You are a captive of his uh, 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 authority. Right? Because that's, that's what we gave to him when we, uh, 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 through Adam and uh, with the nature that we've inherited, that sin nature, for the wages of sin is death. Right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So in this darkness that we live in, unless we embrace God, we are actually under bondage. It's kind of like the Israelites were in Egypt serving Pharaoh. They were still living their lives. They were still doing their stuff, but their allegiance and, uh, was to Pharaoh, and whether they understood it completely or not, they were living in captivity. Right? Then Moses shows up, and Moses begins to, to, to go through uh, uh, the, the deliverance plan that God has for the people of God. Now, I want you to know that the people chose to follow Moses, but they didn't have to. They didn't have to leave their captivity. They didn't have to leave Egypt behind, but they did. And in choosing to leave Egypt behind, a lot of what you're going to realize is that even though they got out of Egypt, their hearts sometimes were still in Egypt. And I know I'm getting off on a tangent here, but what we need to realize is that sometimes in Christ, we embrace the idea that I want to go to heaven when I die, and there's nothing wrong with that. I want to have a better life, but we don't necessarily recognize that we are severing our allegiance with the enemy by severing our allegiance with the world. And a lot of times what happens is we want to try to be a Christian but not sever our allegiance with the, with the world. You cannot serve two masters. You have to embrace one and leave the other, right? And there's a lot of Christians that are trying to serve two masters in the way that they live. If you are holding on to and espousing a certain way of living that is outside of God's uh, uh, domain and outside of God's uh, boundaries that he provides in his word, outside of God's blessing, God's righteousness, then in reality what you're doing is you're putting yourself under once again the authority of the enemy. I want to have a dual passport. I want to have a passport in this kingdom of God, but I also want to have a passport in the kingdom of the devil. Now, no, most of us would never say that, but, but the way we live, that's what we're doing. You cannot traffic in darkness and light. You can't do that. When you get saved, if you understand salvation, you're not just becoming aware of the fact that there is a God, you are. You're not just becoming aware of the fact that there is light and I want to live in the light. You have to uh, deny Satan. You have to renounce Satan. And you have to embrace God. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what we need to understand. That it is a change 
of allegiance, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. As much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, likewise Jesus, shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. They were being held captive. Why do Christians want to go back into captivity? How had he kept the people captive? 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. How does he blind us to the truth as he gets us to believe a lie? One lie is, I can live like the devil and still go to heaven. That's a lie, right? I don't have to give everything up to serve God. That's a lie. Let me make it a little more innocuous. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. That's a lie, right? I can be a Christian and still do this. That's a lie. But Are you clothesline preaching? Well, I haven't mentioned clothes yet. Don't plan on mentioning clothes yet. But what I'm trying to get us to realize is that if we recognize that it's more than just what I want to do, what I don't want to do, what I can do, what I can't do, it's more than that. Is are we going to become citizens of the kingdom and live for the king, or do we want to go back to Egypt and live where that leads into captivity? Well, I'm going to be a Christian, and I still want to sleep around. No. I want to be a Christian, you know, and I want to, I, I want to lie and get angry and, and hurt. No, it doesn't work that way. As a minister of God, Paul was commissioned to proclaim the glorious gospel of Christ to shine the light that the people might escape their bondage to the enemy and become citizens of the kingdom. This was his charge, and it's the charge of every servant of God, every person who proclaims his name. When he was writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 24-26, he says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and then they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And what is his will? To steal, kill, and destroy. What is the will of God? That we might have life and life more abundantly, right? First Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That brings us to our fourth point, to receive forgiveness of sins, right? That they may receive forgiveness of sins. So he was to go and open their eyes. How do you open their eyes? By telling them about Jesus. He is the light. 
right, in order to turn them from darkness to light, that they may turn from the ways that they're living now to the way that God would have and desire from them. And in doing that, they are leaving their allegiance and renouncing their allegiance to the, to the enemy and accepting and embracing Jesus as their king and becoming citizens of the kingdom. When they do that, what does God give us? Forgiveness of sins is the first thing, right? I'm not talking about all of Scripture. I'm talking about this particular passage. He says, and they will receive forgiveness of sins. In changing allegiance, in transferring from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, the believer leaves behind his or her chains and receives from God forgiveness of sins and what we'll look at here in a minute, and an inheritance in Christ. It's sin and the consequences of sin that keeps us in bondage to the enemy. As we experience the light of God, the mercy of God, we have the opportunity to turn from darkness to light. And as we do, God grants us through the shed blood of Christ forgiveness of sins. John 3, 3 through 5. Because what keeps us in bondage? The wages of sin. So how does God uh, 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 forgive us? of our sins through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Once we've been forgiven of our sins, then we have an opportunity to reconcile with God. Jesus answered and said to him, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what, how does that happen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. Remember, the wages of sin is death. So Jesus had no reason to die. Did you ever think about that? And Jesus himself says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Greater love has no man than this than he lay down his life for his... Why did he give his life? For us. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I, I like to explain it this way. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's kind of like our robe of righteousness is like filthy rags. No matter how good we are, no matter how, it, it doesn't matter if we're the best person in the whole world, we're still in the face of God, in the, light, in the, in the, in the sight of God, our righteousness is like filthy rags. I went to the dentist this week. <laughs> Uh, they went to clean my teeth, right? And then they polish your teeth. Eee, polish your teeth all up, you know. You look in the mirror and your teeth are real shiny. Look, I have the shiniest yellow teeth there is. <laughs> no matter how much they polish it, no matter what they do, it's always going to be yellow. Right? No matter how good you try, no matter how much you try, you're always going to fall short. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. But Jesus is perfection. He is the righteousness of God. And his robes are clean and white and pure. And so what happened at the cross of Calvary, through the work that he did on the cross, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he took our robes of unrighteousness and put it on himself. And the exchange for those who embrace the work that he did, we get his robe of righteousness. We are wearing his robe of righteousness not to live unrighteously, Right? What does it say in Ephesians 4.1? It says, walk in a manner 
worthy of the calling that you've been called. Because of what Jesus did for us, we've been called the righteousness of God in Christ. So why do we want to live unrighteously if we are called righteous? As I said before, for all of sin falls short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we get that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 10 and 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what happens when my sins are forgiven and I'm saved? That brings us to the last part of what Jesus, what the Lord told Paul. He said to receive an inheritance. So to open their eyes, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me, a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. I don't have that in there, but didn't Jesus say, I'm going to prepare a place for you? Right? What happens when your sins are forgiven and you're saved? You're given an inheritance. You're given, and who is the down payment of our inheritance, by the way? The Holy Spirit. You are given a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. This sums up the blessing which, in the heavenly vision, Paul was charged to communicate to all who place their faith in Christ. Now remember, Paul was sent specifically to the Gentiles. But all have the opportunity to receive this work of Christ, the work of salvation, by believing. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it's the power of God to the salvation of all those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile or to the Greek. So it was, he was sent to communicate to all who place their faith in Christ, not only Jews but Gentiles as well, that those who believe Jews and primarily because that's who Paul was sent to Gentiles and in believing they were going to have an equal and rightful share in the heritage of God's holy people. It, it may not work here, but I'm, I have this, I always remember when I went to Israel, got a chance to go over there and um, you, you know when you get saved we sometimes have a false understanding of salvation that when I got saved uh, I've been made whole no when you get saved you begin the work of being made whole right you bring all your wounds you bring all your experiences, you bring all that stuff in you in, into the kingdom of God. And as you walk out your faith in Christ, he continues to work on you, to cleanse you, to heal you, all those kind of things in your life. So when I got saved, I didn't realize that I had this thing in me that, um, you know, the, the, it was this kind of perfectionism that if I can be better than everybody else, if I can do better than anybody else, then, then I can, and, and it worked out this way, that I'll be loved more or I'll be honored more, I'll be respected more. So I had to work for love. Okay, so when I went to Israel and I was looking at everything there, I didn't realize I had all this in me, but the Lord knows. You, God knows what we have right? And so anyway, I was over there, and I was just enjoying Israel and whatever, and the Lord spoke to me one day, and he said, uh, while I was there, he said, you don't have to be Jewish to be loved. And you see, my whole life had been based on trying to be better so that I could get accepted, right? Because obviously, I had a problem with who I thought I was, 
or uh, rejection or I had a problem. So uh, if I, I could just be better, then people will accept me. And the Lord said, you don't have to be Jewish to be loved. So what was he telling me? See, in the, in the, in the Gospels, it says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And apparently he was touching on something I didn't realize I had. I could be, the, I could be as good as I could be, but I could never be the best because I'm not Jewish. Because it's to the Jew first. Now I was reading it wrong. Because when he's talking about first, it doesn't mean that they're the best. They were actually the least. What does it mean first? That when the gospel came, Jesus came to the Jews first so that the Jews could take it to everybody else. It wasn't that they were better. It's just they had a stewardship. Right? But in my mind, and, and what it wasn't really about that. It was talking about a lie that I had believed. Right? As a Christian we become part of uh, Israel. We are a spiritual Israel. All together, we are connected into the vine. Jews and Gentiles are engrafted into the vine. And we all have equal value and are equally loved by God. Right? We have been all given a place in, 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 in God's kingdom. We all have something prepared for us, whether you're Jew or Gentile, has nothing to do with it. I'm not saying it's irrelevant. I'm just saying it's not, it's not you're Jew, so you get something better. No, it's, it's through faith in Christ. We've all come into this inheritance in Christ, and believing Gentiles have an equal and rightful share with believing Jews. As we become one in Christ and engrafted into the vine, we have a rightful and equal share in the heritage of God's people. As I read before, 1 Peter 2 and 10, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. And then I found this passage, and I'll end with this one, but it just it, it was really good because it kind of summed up everything I'm talking about, Colossians 1, 9 through 14. And I'll just read a little bit slower. For this reason, we also, talking about the church, since the day we heard it, oh, he's talking about himself writing to the church of Colossians, Colossians 1, 9 through uh, 14. Uh, Since the day we heard it, did not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us in Christ to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. So what we looked at here today is when Jesus revealed himself to Paul, he says, I want you to go and tell them what you've seen and what I'm going to show you. I have sent you to be a minister. I've sent you as a servant to my people. Uh, I'm going to deliver from the Jews, but I'm sending you to the Gentiles to do what? To open their eyes to turn, that they might turn from darkness to light, that they might be delivered from the power of small Satan to the kingdom of big God, that they might receive 
forgiveness of sins, and a place, an inheritance, right, among all those who are sanctified by faith in Christ. I, I just, I'm always marveled constantly over and over again of what God has done for us. And all of eternity will be spent gazing into what God has done. And as we gaze into it, all of eternity is not enough to mine the riches of what God has done in Christ. The whole universe that God created is centered around Jesus and the work that he did to bring us. Everything in the universe, whether we recognize it or not, revolves around that central foundation. The lamb who was slayed from the foundation of the world who came in to this world as an infant, born in the manger, not in a, in a, in a palace. He is the king of kings, but you got to search to find him. But if you find him and you see him for who he is, if you see the light and as you see him and as you're basking in the glory of God, the purpose of that is that we might come out of our darkness, come out of our hiding, come out of our sins, come out of the things that we do and come into the light. But I don't want to go into the light because I don't want to expose who I am. But you don't realize if you come into the light, he will change who you are. He will cleanse you. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. See, in the darkness, a lot of people want to stay in the darkness, but they don't realize in the darkness they're in captivity and in bondage. But by coming into the light and by submitting to God, in submitting to Him, we think that's captivity and bondage, but in reality, it's the greatest freedom there could ever be. It's an oxymoron to us, but it makes perfect sense to those that have been set free because He's a good and righteous King. He wants nothing more than His people would, would, would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prosper. That word prosper doesn't mean that everybody's going to be rich. It just means that in Christ, yet that you can be, oh, you can live an overcoming, victorious life. We're not no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and by the winds and the ways, but I was walking the other day, and I, I was thinking to myself, God, how did you sleep in the middle of the storm? And I wanted to cry out, can you teach me how to do that? Can you teach me how to sleep in the middle of the storm? Because... This world is full of storms. My life is constantly, there's a storm going on in my life. There's a constant, how can you have peace in the middle of the storm? I want that. I believe he's promises that. We can live that. I don't think he did it just so we could go, wow, I could never do that. I think he did it so that we could say, I want to do that. I believe we can live this life. No matter what's going on around us, on the solid rock. You know, there's a big storm going on in Florida, but if you're built right and you're built on a solid rock, the storm doesn't, doesn't throw you like it would other people. If you've got a trailer house or an RV, and I'm not against that. If you have living in one, don't take it the wrong way. But I'm just saying, you're going to have a lot more struggles than somebody that's really dug deep on a good foundation. And in Christ, we're on the most solid foundation. And I, and I began to realize, why am I tossed to and fro? Some, why is my, my emotions, uh, and I say I don't feel, but I do, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, why do I struggle sometimes with fears and, and what ifs and all that kind of, just, we, we all have that, right? Why do I do that? Because I, I really, it hasn't really set home. I was, I was meditating on Psalms 23, and, I, and I'm almost done, but uh, he that, uh, uh, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his sake. And I just got to thinking. And see, I, I went through the longest time without being able to, to sleep well 
And then um, what I started doing is I memorized Psalms, and, and at night I start going through the Psalms, and I, I get about this far in Psalms 23, and I'm gone. But I did have enough time to think about the fact that, that the Lord watches over his sheep. He brings them to good pastures, way better pastures than I could ever bring myself to. He makes them to lie down. A sheep won't lie down. I don't, I don't take care of sheep, but what I understand, a sheep won't lie down if it feels threatened or it feels in danger. So why can the sheep lie down and, 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 and chew the cud and, and be at peace? Because the shepherd's watching over it. And if I really believe the shepherd was watching over me and the shepherd was taking care of me, and I do, but I, but I want to believe more, if I really believe that, then no storm can take. Jesus said, you would have no power over me if my father had not given it to you. Nothing can happen to me if my father is not allowed. If we get to that place where we realize that God loves me and he can take better care of me than I can take care of myself, then I can live my life and sleep in peace during the middle of storms knowing that my heavenly father, I don't have to watch because God is watching over me. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. All I got to do is stay underneath his presence, and he does the rest. It is he that will deliver me from the snare of the trapper. It is he that will deliver me from the deadly pestilence. He will cover me with his pinions that under his wings I may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and blue. I will not be afraid of the terror by night, of the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks the darkness, the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come near me. No evil shall befall me. No plague shall come near my tent. He will give his angels charge over me to guard me in all my waves, right? They shall bear me up in their hands that I do not strike my foot against the stone. We shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, upon the young lion and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the serpent. We shall trample down, right? He will call upon me and I will deliver him. I will set him securely on, uh, set him securely on high. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, for he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will rescue him and honor him and with long life will I satisfy him and let him see my salvation if we really believe that and I want to believe it more I'm like the the guy that came to Jesus I believe help my unbelief then I, I truly believe that we can walk in peace and if we can walk in peace we can be more healthy Stress is the number one killer of people, not just unbelievers, but also believers. So imagine how, how much healthier. Is that true, nurses? Is that true? How much healthier, healthier would we be if we could really walk and live in peace? Right? You know, most people, why they overeat? Stress. Stress. Pressure. Comforts them. So imagine if we could really be free of that. What would we do? We wouldn't have to find comfort in food because we're already at peace. Uh, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rambling right now. But um, anyway, just it's awesome what God has done for us. And we are going to continue to look at it over and over and over again because there's more to it than we could ever imagine. But I'm so grateful that he has revealed his truth to us. I'm grateful that we have turned from darkness to light. I'm grateful that we have renounced 
our allegiance with the enemy and embraced the Lord and submitted to his ways, submitted to his lordship. And I'm so grateful that we have forgiveness of sins and I have a place and we have a place among all those who have been sanctified by faith in the Lord. Amen.